and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Hey. Are you excited about Mythology May coming to a close? Well, we've learned so much over the last Honestly, month. I am and full of info. a lot yet to learn, uh, I are, think. Are you going to really lay it on us? Today is... Today is a is a long episode, so I hope you're on a great road trip. Mm, yeah, settle uh, in. You got a lot of like menial tasks at work that you need somebody's voice to to accompany you. Data entry, data yes. entry, uh, data entry with podcasts. That's oh, that's the back dream. And forth, back and forth. Click, yeah. click, 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 so click. good. Yes. So this is this is our this is our last um, episode this month of Mythology May. Today, finally. And I, we've been alluding to it all month. Oh, boy. Today is Men Are From Aries, Women Are From Aphrodite, Greek and Roman Mythology. Finally, the thing we both of us have been referencing. <laughs> all I know, right? <laughs> I was like, uh, well, you know, we'll save the longest for last. Yeah. Shall we? Yeah. Yeah, and like, you know, it's like a reveal. You know, you're like, I don't understand who this Hermes is. Why do they keep saying this? And then finally it's like, ta-da, we're going to give you all the answers. Yeah, and this is something that people might be most familiar with, yes. I would say, out of the ones that we've covered. So, yeah, you know, yes. there's a, it's legit. there's a lot here, and it does come up a lot in trivia. So kind of a background. Greek mythology is known today primarily from Greek literature and representations in visual media dating from about 900 BC to 800 BC onward. Uh, the existence of both literary and archaeological sources of data is a strong indication that many elements of Greek mythology have strong factual and historical roots. Ooh. Both the ancient Greeks and Romans were descended from the Proto-Indo-Europeans. Uh, though the two groups diverged, they continued to share remnants of a common language and other features, including mythology. From the earliest period of the Republic, Roman religious beliefs had adopted Greek elements. So this actually predated the Roman conquest of Greece, which is actually one of the common explanations about the similarity of their histories. When the Romans invaded Greece starting in 146 BC, their gods were not as developed or sophisticated as the Greeks were. And the Romans knew that bridging the differences would add to their influence over their conquered nation. So uh -huh. captured Greek scholars were used to tutor Roman children because they knew that the Greeks had an excellent educational system comparatively to theirs. Interesting. And so Greek literature was also superior at the time. So the Romans adopted much for their own stories. So the intermixing of the literature resulted in a cross-pollination of all the Greek gods and deities with their own. Okay. Which is why we see so many that are like, oh, well, in Greek mythology, it's this. And in the Roman mythology, it's this. It's kind of like Fran France and England when it comes to um, fashion. <laughs> there you go. The French that were like be the true. best mm -hmm. at clothes. And so the English were like, well, I got to get a robe à la Française. That's the name of the dress. And then there was a robe à la Anglaise. So that was like lesser. Ah, than, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. There you go. Exactly like that. You know, I don't even have to do the rest of the episode. Done. No. Thanks for listening, guys. No. <laughs> uh, the only general mythological handbook to survive from Greek antiquity was a book by Pseudo Apollodorus called okay. Library. This was oh. from around um, 180 BC to about 125 BC. This provides a grand summary of traditional Greek mythology and heroic legends. 
but among the earliest literary sources are Homer's two epic poems, the Iliad and the Odyssey, oh, yeah. which were written in the late 8th, early century early 7th century BC. A possible contemporary of Homer named Hesiod offered in his Theogony, or The Origin of the Gods, the fullest account of the earliest Greek myths, dealing with the creation of the world, the origin of the gods, titans and giants, plus elaborate genealogies, folktales, and historical myths. Hesiod's Works and Days, a poem about farming life, also includes the myths of Prometheus, Pandora, and the Five Ages. Playwrights including Aeschylus, Sophocles, and Euripides took most of their plots from myths of the age and heroes of the Trojan War. Historians like Herodotus and geographers Pausanias and Strabo traveled throughout the Greek world and noted the stories that they heard and also supplied numerous local myths and legends, often giving little-known alternative versions. And then there were some Roman poets who lived around the first century BC, guys like Ovid, who wrote the Metamorphoses, Um, also Seneca and Virgil, who wrote the Aeneid. Um, They also incorporate Greek and Roman mythology into their stories. Because Latin literature was more widely known in Europe throughout the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance, the interpretations of Greek myths by the Romans often had a greater influence on narrative and pictorial representations of classical mythology than Greek sources. So coming into your art. So with the rediscovery of classical antiquity during the Renaissance, the poetry of Ovid became a major influence on the imagination of poets, dramatists, musicians, and artists. Um, From the early years of the Renaissance, artists like some of our favorite Ninja Turtles, uh, Leonardo, (laughs) Michelangelo, and Raphael, portrayed the pagan subjects of Greek mythology alongside more conventional Christian themes. And through the medium of Latin and the works of Ovid, Greek myth influenced medieval and Renaissance poets such as Petrarch, Boccaccio, and Dante in Italy. Um, And in Northern Europe, Greek mythology didn't quite take the same hold of the visual arts, but its effect was very obvious on literature. The English people, though, they freaking loved Greek mythology, uh, like starting with Chaucer and John Milton and continuing through Shakespeare to Robert Bridges in the 20th century. Uh, Jean Racine in France and Johann Wolfgang von Goethe in Germany revived Greek drama, reworking the ancient myths for their times. Of course. So here we go. Greek mythology. Um, these stories concern the origin and the nature of the world, the lives and activities of deities, heroes, and mythological creatures, and the origins and significance of the ancient Greeks' own cult and ritual practices. The first generation of divine beings were called the protogenoi, or the primordial deities, who were born from the void of chaos. Oh, yeah. You know, like everyone else. Very common. So um, from chaos came... Gaia, the personification of the earth, the primal mother earth goddess. Um, Her Roman equivalent is Terra, T-E-R-R-A. Okay. Um, She was mother of the Titans. Not your coworker, Terra. No. (laughs) Hi, Terra. Shout out. Hi, Terra. Next is Tartarus, T-A-R-T-A-R-U-S. He is the personification of the underworld, the deep abyss that is used as a dungeon of torment and suffering for the wicked. Um, So it's kind of a god, but also a place Okay. Um, And it is the same name in in the Roman mythology. Eros was one of the primordial deities. Uh, Per Hesiod, Eros was the fourth god to come into existence after Chaos, Gaia, and Tartarus. Um, Eros is the personification of love and attraction. Sure. And you might see in later stories that he's the son of um, Aphrodite. Yeah. But like... There's there's uh, more stories out there about how he was actually one of the primordial deities. Oh, instead. okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Erebus, E R E B U S. That's the personification of darkness and shadow. Uh, Nyx, N Y X, is the personification and goddess of the night. Um, she's also the mother of Hypnos, which is sleep, and th- uh, Thanatos, which is death. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, Uranus is the personification of the sky or father sky. His Roman equivalent is Calus, C-A-E-L-U-S. Um, and he's also the father of the Titans. 
And then Hemera, H-E-M-E-R-A, is the personification of day and the goddess of the daytime. Um, She's also the daughter of Erebus and Nyx, the daughter of darkness and night, which is interesting. Day is the daughter of darkness and night. So those are the primordial deities. Okay. The next generation is the Titans. So they were a powerful race that ruled the world before the Olympians, which we'll talk about later, um, in the time of the golden age of man. They were immortal giants of incredible strength and knowledge of old religion, rituals, and magic. They were also known as the Elder Gods, and their dwelling place was at Mount Othrys. O-T-H-R-Y-S. The first generation of Titans were the direct descendants of Gaia and Uranus, who originally gave birth to 12 Titans, six males and six females. Sure. Uh, There are 12, but I'm not going to go over them all. The more important ones include Iapetus. He's the Titan of Mortality, the father of Prometheus, Epimetheus, Menetius, and Atlas. Then Menemcene. She's the Titaness of Memory and Remembrance and the mother of the Nine Muses. And I'll talk about them later. Hyperion is the Titan of Light. He is the father of Helios, the sun, Selene, the moon, and Eos, the dawn. And then Cronus is the Titan of Harvests and the personification of destructive time. So the Titans arose to power when their youngest son, Cronus, in a plot with his mother Gaia and his brothers, castrated his father Uranus with a great stone sickle and took the rulership of Cosmos from him. Um, That seems extreme. He could have just had a coup, you know? Yeah, well. Did he have to slice it off? You know? Just, just. That's, this is the origin of the Greeks. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you're right. Very violent. So Cronus, um, in, in, the, in the Roman mythology, his name is Saturn. In Greek, it's Cronus. After killing his father, he took the throne with his sister Rhea so they could rule as king and queen. A prophecy, though, predicted by his father Uranus, decreed that Cronus would also be overthrown by his son. And to prevent this from occurring, Cronus swallowed each of his children. Uh, you know. Like a pill? Like <laughs> uh, So they were Demeter, Hestia, Hera, Hades, and Poseidon. Oh. So like as they were born, he Cronus just, just swallowed whoop. them. So Rhea, his sister wife, uh, managed to save the youngest, Zeus, by hiding him away on the island of Crete and feeding Cronus a, a stone that was swaddled in cloth. So she gave birth to the last what one and she was like, no, I want to keep this one. And so she, she wrapped up a big rock in a thing of, you know, in a thing of blanket. <laughs> and he was and like, then she was like, this is him. And he, and he swallowed that stone. So when Zeus was full grown, he forced Cronus to vomit up his siblings. So, oh, you know, because they're, they're just hanging out. In there. Yeah, they grew up to be like hum- uh, like adults. Yeah. Okay. While they were inside yeah um and so zeus led the olympians in a 10-year war against the titans okay so zeus was based on mount olympus and the titans on mount Othrys. eventually the olympians were successful and they drove their opponents into the pit of tartarus the bowels of the earth after freeing his siblings zeus also released to the hecatonchires and the cyclops who forged for him his lightning bolts hades's helmet and poseidon's trident Prometheus, who sides with Zeus and his two brothers, Epimetheus and Atlas, are not in prison in this war. Atlas is forced to carry the weight of the world on his shoulders forever. And Prometheus is the one who defied the gods by helping humans and bringing them fire. Um, He was ultimately chained to a rock where every day an eagle comes to pick at his innards. Yes. Yes. 
that is depicted a couple of times in classical art. I, yeah. Yeah, they love it. It's a it. great story. Oh, yeah. They're like, more innards. Slop, slop, slop. Yeah. So Zeus's generation is the Olympians. Okay. Okay. So this is the third generation. The Olympians are the major deities of the Greek pantheon. They gain their supremacy in a 10-year-long war of the gods called the Titanomachy, in which Zeus led his siblings to victory over the previous generation of ruling gods. The first generations of Olympians were offspring of the Titans, Cronus and Rhea. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to name them and then I will go over them. Sure. Depth. So they were Zeus, Poseidon, Hera, Demeter, and Hestia, along with the principal offspring of Zeus, who were Athena, Apollo, Artemis, Ares, Aphrodite, Hephaestus, Hermes, and Dionysus. Okay. So although Hades was a major deity in the Greek pantheon and he was the brother of Zeus and the other first generation of Olympians, his realm was far away from Olympus in the underworld. And thus he's not usually considered to be one of the Olympians. Oh, really? Okay. Um, most listings include either Hestia or Dionysus as one of the 12 Olympians, but I am noting both here. Okay. So here they are, the Olympians. In the Greek, it's Zeus. In Roman, it's Jupiter or Jove. Okay. Yes, by Jove. The British love mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. The Deets. He's the king of the gods and the ruler of Mount Olympus, the husband brother of Hera, though he had many lovers. Lots, lots of stories oh about my his God, many yes. lovers. Zeus is god of the sky, lightning, thunder, law, order, and justice. His symbols include the thunderbolt, eagle, oak tree, lion, scepter, and scales. And he has a lightning bolt, which is a which is one prong. Okay? So like okay, a okay. single pronged lightning bolt. All right. Next is Hera in Roman. She's Juno. Um, she is the queen of the gods, the wife, sister of Zeus, and also the sister of Poseidon, Hades, Demeter, and Hestia. Uh, Hera is the goddess of marriage. Um, her symbols include the peacock, the cuckoo, and the cow. According to ancient Roman almanacs, it is Juno and not Janus for whom the month of January is named. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes mm-hmm. sense. Who's Janus? Uh, he's the two-faced oh. god. I'm sorry. Janice. I was thinking she's like from accounting, like Janice in accounting, yeah. who always has candy on her yeah. desk. Okay. I mean, she's really nice, but the month is not what a, a name two-faced for her. bitch. Am I right? Hey, oh, oh, that was such a good joke. <laughs> All right. Yes, Janice. J a n u s. Never mind. Don't listen to me. Continue. <laughs> then there's Poseidon, who uh, his Roman name is Neptune. Poseidon is god of the seas, water, storms, hurricanes, earthquakes, and horses. Mm. Um, he is the brother of Wait, Zeus, what? Hades, Demeter, Hestia, and Hera. <laughs> his symbols include the horse, bull, dolphin, and trident. Uh, so dang many lovers and offspring. That's part of my notes. And he has a three-pronged trident. Okay. Okay. Their brother, Hades, who is not necessarily considered an Olympian. Um, his Roman name is Pluto. Mm-hmm. And I got a lot on this guy. Okay. Uh, so he's god of the underworld, brother of Zeus, Poseidon, Demeter, Hestia, and Hera. And he's married to Persephone, who he abducts and makes his queen of the underworld after she eats a pomegranate seed down there, which was the food of the dead. Yes. So like he thought she was so pretty mm-hmm. and he kidnapped her and took her to the underworld uh-huh. and she's like, but I want to go back. And then he kept her down there long enough that she was like, but I'm very hungry. I'm so hungry. And she ate like a single pomegranate seed and, and then it was, was all like, over. <laughs> You're here forever now that you ate the food of the dead. So the myth of her abduction represents her function as the personification of vegetation, which shoots forth in the spring and withdraws into the earth after mm-hmm. harvest. So basically like 80s kidnaps Persephone and her mother Demeter is like so distraught over all of this and like she weeps and wails and we'll talk about Demeter in a minute um but basically she makes a bargain with Hades that like 
that Persephone is allowed to live with her for like a couple months out of the year. Yeah. And then the other months she stays down in, in the underworld, which is why like sometimes the land is barren because she's down in the underworld at that time. Hades is often portrayed with his three-headed guard dog, Cerberus, also seen as passive rather than evil. Oh. Um, his role was often maintaining relative balance. He cared little about what happened in the world above as his primary attention was ensuring none of his subjects ever left. He has the cap of invisibility. What? That's Harry Potter. <laughs> the cape of, it's a cloak oh, of invisibility. Oh, oh okay. Sorry. Um, it's also called the cap of Hades or the helm of darkness. Oh, I love that. That enables him to become invisible to other supernatural entities. That's cool. He has a two-pronged implement called a bident. A bident? A bident. That sounds like something you find in your mouth. <laughs> You're like, you got a really horny bident in here. We're going to have to remove this immediately. <laughs> I didn't know he even had like a, uh, like an implement. A yeah. Instrument. So Poseidon has a three prong trident. Yeah. Uh, Zeus has a single like prong. lightning bolt. Yeah. And then Hades is two prong called a Biden. I had no idea. That's Loved so cool. It. So in his underworld, there are six rivers reflecting emotions associated with death. They are sticks, which stands for hatred. Acheron, which is for pain, and that's the one that um, Charon, the ferryman, oh yeah, ferries people across. across is yeah. the is the Acheron. There's Leth, which is forgetfulness. Phlegathon, which is fire. Cockatus, cockatus, sure. C o c y t u s, which is wailing. Oh, um, and then Oceanus, which encircles the world. You know, one of your emotions. Um, <laughs> So uh, the place where the judges of the underworld decide where to send their souls include Elysium, the fields of Asphodel or Tartarus. And we'll talk about them later okay. too. Uh, another Olympian is Hestia. Okay. In Roman, she's Vesta. That is the goddess of the hearth, architecture, and family. Uh, she presided over the baking of bread, which was mankind's staple food. Delicious. She's the sister of, you know, that other first generation. Demeter. And in Roman, she's Ceres. Um, she's the goddess of corn and harvest, the mother of Persephone. Um, Persephone is the daughter of Demeter and Zeus, who was kidnapped by Hades to be his wife. She lies in mourning for four months of the year while Persephone is in the underworld, leaving fields barren, which is why we have winter. Oh. And her symbols include the poppy, wheat, torch, cornucopia, and the pig. Uh, okay. Yeah. Athena, our oh, girl, yeah. um, in Roman, she's Minerva. She's the goddess of wisdom, knowledge, reason, intelligent activity, literature, handicraft, science, defense, and strategic warfare. Basically, everybody was like, mm, what are some things? Yeah. She's in charge. She gets all those. She was the favorite daughter of Zeus. Um, her mother was the Oceanid Metis, which is like a kind of like an ocean dwelling creature. Um, Athena sprang fully formed from Zeus's head because yes. he swallowed Metis, afraid that his unborn offspring would try to kill him too, because again, oh, yeah. with the prophecies and all that. Her symbols include the owl and the olive tree. Um, she's very brave. She's the patron of heroes. And she's also the patron of Athens. Um, so she was kind of in like a, a, not a battle, but like, you know, a contest. Oh, with yeah. Poseidon to see who would become the um, the patron of Athens. Oh, like okay. The, the, you know, the city itself. She gave them an olive tree and Poseidon gave them a horse. Oh. And, but with the olive tree, they could... Have, have food and wood and shelter and yeah all sorts of things. food lube and yes all those great things so she's the patron of athens 
And another story involving Athena was she had a contest with Arachne um, about who weaved better. Uh, so uh, um, what Athena like wove a beautiful tapestry depicting things. But Arachne in her tapestry, she offended the gods. Like she told a story she wasn't supposed to do or anything like that. Um, she offended the gods. So so instead of like living in shame. OK. About offending the gods, she killed herself. Ooh. But Athena brought her back as a spider. Yes. So before that, we didn't have any spiders. But this this good weaver who offended the gods and killed herself, Athena brought her back as a spider. I see. Apollo. Yeah. Who also in the Roman world is also named Apollo. Oh, there's the one to one. The one to one. Yeah. Okay. He's the god of light, the sun, philosophy, poetry, music, arts, medicine, healing, and truth. He is the son of Zeus and Leto and the twin brother of Artemis. His symbols include the sun, bow and arrow, Lear, and the swan. He's credited with the invention of archery. Um, he is also the most beautiful god and the ideal so of the Koros, which is a beardless athletic youth. Um, Apollo is considered the most Greek of all gods. He is oh. also the patron of Delphi, which was considered the center of the world by ancient Greeks. Okay. His twin sister, Artemis. She's my fave. Yeah. Artemis underscore moon. Yep. You can one. get on AIM and uh, you can find me there. 1997 <laughs> and write to Lauren. <laughs> Artemis underscore moon at Juno.com. That was my email address. <laughs> Feel free to email me. It is no longer in existence. <laughs> so in the Roman world, she's Diana. Um, so Artemis is the goddess of the hunt, the wilderness, chastity, the moon, archery, childbirth, pl- protection, and plague. Yeah. She's the da- daughter of Zeus and Leto and the twin sister of Apollo. Her symbols include the moon, deer, hound and bow and arrow she's the patron and protector of young girls but she is also believed to bring disease upon women but is also able to relieve them of it yeah so you got to be careful yeah her temple at ephesus was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world right yeah and you can go back through our catalog and listen to the episode about the seven wonders of the ancient world it was very good Hmm. uh we have aries yeah who in the roman world is mars he was the god of war, violence, bloodshed, and manly virtues. Okay. The son so. of Zeus and Hera, and he was despised by all other gods. Really? Yeah. <laughs> he was just a real dick. Unpopular. Um, symbols included the boar, the serpent, the dog, vulture, spear, and shield. He is the father of Phobos, fear, and Deimos, terror. Oh, geez. Um, when Ares does appear in myths, he typically faces humiliation. Oh, mm-hmm. so he gets his comeuppance. Yes. Okay. Uh, but the Roman version, Mars, has a more important and dignified place as the guardian deity. So he's, in the Roman version, Mars is more the emblem of manly valor rather than like the cruel and bloodthirsty war god I that see. Okay. Um, Ares is to the Greeks. I feel like that was more what I understood Ares to be. I've never like heard that he was like just a big old dick. Yeah. So <laughs> good to know. That's very interesting. There's Aphrodite, sure. who in the Roman world is Venus. Um, she's the goddess of love, pleasure, passion, procreation, fertility, beauty, and desire. She is the daughter of Zeus and another Oceanid, Dion. Um, or alternatively, she perhaps was born from the sea foam after Uranus's semen dripped into the sea after yes. being castrated by his youngest son, Cronus. Sure. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, symbols include the dove, bird, apple, bee, swan, myrtle, and rose. She is married to Hephaestus, though she had many adulterous affairs. Mm. Um, her Greek name gave us the word aphrodisiac. Oh, right. And her Latin name, Venus, gave us the word venereal. <gasps> that didn't even connect with me. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Wow, those are two very opposite <laughs> concepts. <laughs> so her husband, Hephaestus. Um, Long-suffering. Yeah. Very his, patient. His um, Roman name is Vulcan. Um, he's the master blacksmith and craftsman of the gods. He's the god of the forge, craftsmanship, invention, fire, and volcanoes. Nice. He is the son of Hera, um, either by Zeus or alone. Like she was like getting so mad at Zeus about stuff that she just wanted her own yeah. son. <laughs> um, he was kind, generous, and good-natured, although he was disfigured. Aww. Like there was, you know, we don't know, there was something wrong with him. Um, but he was married to Aphrodite, you know, the most beautiful woman. Um, his symbols include the fire, anvil, axe, hammer, and tongs. And he was the one who created the first human woman, Pandora. <gasps> Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good to know. There's Hermes. Sure. Who his uh, Roman name is Mercury. He's the messenger of the gods and a master thief. He's the god of travel, commerce, communication, borders, eloquence, diplomacy, thieves, and games. <laughs> he is the son of Zeus and the nymph Maya. Um, he is the psychopomp who leads the dead from Earth to Hades. Okay. And his symbols include the caduceus, which is the staff entwined with two snakes, uh, winged sandals and a cap, a stork and a tortoise, whose shell he used to invent the lyre, the instrument. Oh, okay. And finally, Dionysus, whose Roman name is Bacchus. He is the god of wine, yeah. the grapevine, fertility, festivity, ecstasy, madness, and resurrection. He is the patron god of the art of theater. He is the son of Zeus and the mortal Theban princess Semele, and he is married to the Cretan princess Ariadne. Um, he is the only Olympian god that has a mortal mother. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, interesting. And his symbols include the grapevine, ivy, cup, uh, leopard, dolphin, and pine cone. Dolphin. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, the everybody gets an animal. You get an animal. You get another you get animal. Dolphin. Uh, so where do souls go when they when where they're done on this mortal dead earth? Where do souls go when they can't find their way home? Sorry, is this a song? Can you make yes, it up? It's no, it's um, it's what's his name? Uh, uh, he's got a long curly hair. He's got a special voice. He, he did the Captain Jack Sparrow song with... Uh, oh, Michael Bolton. Yes, Michael Bolton. That's it. <laughs> oh, I could have just easily have mentioned the Hercules guy. Um, anyway, I keep thinking about Hercules, the Disney movie, which was a I've great, never seen it. Oh, underrated. Honestly, it's good. It's good. Put it on the list. Yeah, put it on the list. Mm-hmm. So the underworld is the other world where souls go after death. The original Greek idea of afterlife is that at the moment of death, the soul is separated from the corpse, taking on the shape of the former person and is transported to the entrance of the underworld. So a ghost. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Great. And from there, the souls are judged by Minos, Radamanthus, and Achus, and okay. can go to one of several places. Tartarus, which is where you experience punishment for your sins. Yeesh. The Asphodel Meadows. It sounds like a like a nice housing development. Yes. Down, or an old down 495. Home. Yeah. Asphodel Meadows is a place for ordinary or indifferent souls who did not commit any significant crimes, but who also did not achieve any greatness or recognition that would warrant them being admitted to the higher places. Okay. Um, it was where mortals who did not belong anywhere else in the underworld were sent. So it's like Cincinnati. <laughs> Yeah, no, you know what? That makes perfect sense. You know, we talked about this in um, in the Divine Comedy episode 
uh, where they, they just had a field. It was like the something field. Yeah. And it was fine. It's fine. It's fine. You didn't do anything bad enough to get eh. sent to the, you know, to be punished for the rest of your life. But also you weren't like, great. Yeah. You're not Mother Teresa. No, you're not like loving life. You're like, this is <laughs> fine. Um, a sad mention in the Aeneid, they mentioned the mourning fields. Not, not, oh, what a beautiful morning, but like mourning like sadness. Oh. It's a section of the underworld reserved for souls who wasted their lives on unrequited love. Oh, that's sad. That's, that's not their sad. fault. Yeah. It's unrequited. Yeah. Oh. And then you have Elysium or the Elysian Fields. This is a place for the especially distinguished. The souls that dwelled there had an easy afterlife and had no labors. So that's your heaven is, is Elysium oh, or the Elysian yeah. Fields. A couple of groups we need to know. Okay. The Furies. Nice. Also known as the Aranes. The Furies are three horrible sisters who torment evildoers and punish them for their sins. Oh we have Tisiphone, the punisher of murderers. Megara, the punisher of infidelity, oathbreakers, and theft. Ooh. And Electo, the punisher of moral crimes. They sound awesome. Yeah. The Aranes are crones, <laughs> and depending oh. upon which author you listen to, are described as having snakes for hair, dogs' heads, coal black bodies, bats' wings, and bloodshot eyes. I love them. And in their hands, they carry brass-studded scourges, and their victims die in torment. Oh. That's what we should be for Halloween. Oh, no, absolutely. We just need a third person. Okay, Send us at missivopata.gmail.com and let us know if you want to be our third fury. <laughs> I call the one who punishes all of the adulterers. Okay. Margara. Perfect. Another group that goes along with them. Okay. The Fates. Oh, yeah. They're also known as the Moirai. The Fates are three mysterious sisters who affect the paths of all in the universe. Clotho spins the thread of life. Lachesis measures and assigns each person's thread. And Atropos snips the thread of life at the end. Atropos also chose the manner of each person's death. And when their time was come, she cut their life thread with her aboard shears. You know what? This hap- This is in Hercules. Okay. Yeah. Like, it's very accurate the way you describe that. Because they, like, one weaves the thread and they, they're all blind, I think. Like, they have, like, a, a song. One has, yeah. No, it's not even a song. Like, they're thread, just, like, chit-chatting with thread. each other. <laughs> we'll cut the thread tomorrow. Gonna, you're all gonna die. Like, one has one eye and one has, like, three eyes. And, like, they're very grotesque. But um, they, they have long, spindly fingers. And they pull the thread. And the other one has a big pair of scissors. Ooh. And when she cuts it... It's like magical, like I probably glows. should have watched Hercules before doing this well, episode. Well, I mean, no, I mean, it's all the same stuff. <laughs> but you hear like a scream, like in the distance. Okay. Ah! Yeah, it's cool. You got to watch it. Fate is the only force to rule above both gods and men. Ooh. So the fates arguably have more power than anyone else in the Greek universe. In Roman mythology, they were called Nona, the ninth, for the nine months of pregnancy. Uh-huh. Decima, the tenth, and Morta. The dead one. Oh, oh my God. Can we be them instead? <laughs> That's what we, let's do 2021. We'll do 2021. Okay. Another group of ladies, the muses. Oh, yeah. So Zeus, in the form of a mortal shepherd, and Menemcene slept together for nine consecutive nights, Ugh. thus conceiving the nine muses. Ugh. This is how this works. So I'll, I'll tell you what their names are and then what they are the muse for. Okay. Uh, Calliope is epic poetry. Cleo is history. That's C-L-I-O. Euterpe, E-U-T-E-R-P-E, is music. Erato is lyric poetry. Melpamine is tragedy. Polyhymnia is hymns. Terpsichore is dance. 
Talia is comedy and Urania is astronomy. Oh, yeah. That's great. Let's talk about some monsters. Yeah, let's talk about monsters. Medusa is one of the three Gorgons. Um, Medusa is a horrible woman beast with snakes for hair. And her gaze turns men to stone. Man, so many good Halloween costume ideas. (laughs) She is killed by the hero Perseus Mm, later on. The Minotaur is a half-man, half-bull monster that terrorizes Minos's labyrinth. It was created by Daedalus, and the Minotaur is killed by the hero Theseus. Nice. The Sphinx, a beast with the head of a woman and the body of a winged lion. The Sphinx blocks entry to the city of Thebes, refusing to budge until somebody answers her riddle and eats anyone who fails. She eats them? Mm-hmm. Jeez, that's high stakes. <laughs> when Oedipus solves the riddle, the Sphinx promptly kills herself. Oh, yeah, because she's like, well, what more do I got to do? Now I got a reputation. The the Cyclops are fearsome one-eyed giants of whom Polyphemus is the most famous. In some myths, the Cyclops are the children of heaven and earth, and in others, they are the sons of Poseidon. They forge the thunderbolts of Zeus who favors them. Uh, Polyphemus is the terrible Cyclops who imprisons Odysseus and his men and eats them alive. They escape only after blinding him. In later myths, he becomes a pitiful character who recovers his sight but chases after the cruel nymph Galatea who mocks him. That's not his fault. He's only got one eye. (laughs) (laughs) We mentioned Cerberus, a vile three-headed dog that guards the gates of Hades. Uh And then there's Scylla and Charybdis. Yes. Yes. It makes its appearance in a police song yeah sting, wow. sting like okay. to throw in a lot of like he references nabokov he references skilla and charybdis i said that wrong but yeah you might have said it right i don't i don't know I mean, how does it pronounce i'm not an ancient greek skilla and charybdis okay so they're sure. monsters that lived on either side of a narrow channel of water. Uh, the two sides of the strait were within an arrow's range of one another so close that sailors attempting to avoid uh, Charybdis, the whirlpool, would pass dangerously close to Scylla, a six-headed monster, Ooh. and vice versa. So the, there is an, an idiom that has made it to modern times. Between Scylla and Charybdis has come to mean being forced to choose between two similarly dangerous situations. Huh. Interesting. Like, I guess between a rock and a hard place doesn't really give you quite as yeah. dramatic a... No, I like that better. I'm mm-hmm. going to start using that. If I could learn how to pronounce Scylla and Charybdis. Charybdis. If you speak ancient Greek. (laughs) Oh, you know what I found out? I probably have said this on the podcast before, so stop me if I've already said this. I found out from an NPR episode that ancient Greek, they've discovered it was a tonal language. Okay. So they had a guy giving an example of reading it and he was like like it was so good (laughs) and like funny um, that I was transfixed. So uh, just so you know, ancient Greek was tonal. Hmm. There you go. Well, somebody who wrote some stuff down. Sure. Okay. The Trojan War. Oh, yeah. We'll just cover this real quick. It's detailed in the Iliad. The book is named for the city of Troy, which was called Ilium. Wait. What? The, the book, the Iliad, yeah. is about the city of Troy. Sure. Which was called Ilium. The city of Troy was both Troy and Ilium? Now it's called Troy. Then it was called it was Ilium. Called Got Ilium. you. Got you. I know. I'm so, sorry. I'm listening. I promise. No, it's okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, or in one language, it was called Ilium. Oh, I see. Okay. So um, the Trojan War was waged against the city of Troy by the Achaeans or the Greeks. The war originated from a quarrel between the goddesses Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. Mm. After Eris, the goddess of strife and discord, gave them a golden apple, 
Oh, no. Sometimes known as the apple of discord, which was to be given to the fairest. Oh, that's a bad idea. So Zeus sent the goddesses to Paris, a son of King Priam of Troy, who judged that Aphrodite, as the fairest, should receive the apple. In exchange, Aphrodite made Helen, the most beautiful of all women and the wife of Menelaus, fall in love with Paris, who then took her to Troy. Agamemnon, the king of Mycenae and the brother of Helen's husband, Menelaus, led an expedition of Achaean troops to Troy and besieged the city for 10 years because of Paris's insult, which was basically kidnapping the Spartan king's wife, Helen. Yeah. After the deaths of many heroes, including the Achaeans, Achilles and Ajax, and the Trojans, Hector and Paris, the city fell to the roost of the Trojan horse. They fought for like nine years, by the way. And oh, wow. like finally, Odysseus came up with a plan, a giant hollow wooden horse an animal that was sacred to the trojans okay so you know what that makes more sense that they were like yeah bring this giant hollow horse in here yeah basically they were they were like this is great we can use this as an offering to our to our gods right yeah like we could just burn it or whatever so the hollow horse was filled with soldiers led by odysseus the rest of the army burned the camp and sailed away And when the Trojans discovered that the Greeks were gone, believing that the war was over, they joyfully dragged the horse inside the city while they debated what to do with it. Some thought they ought to hurl it down the rocks. Others thought they should burn it. And others said they ought to dedicate it to Athena. Uh, The the woman Cassandra. She was cursed to utter prophecies that were true, but that no one believed. Oh, that sucks. Told everyone not to keep it. But again, no one listened to her. The Trojans decided to keep the horse and turned to a night of mad revelry and celebration. Oh, no. The Achaean soldiers from inside the horse emerged and killed the guards. They entered the city and killed everyone who was asleep and continued their massacre into the next day. And the Greeks then burned the city and divided the spoils. The gods were very angry over the destruction of their temples and the other sacrilegious acts by the Achaeans. And they decided that most would not be able to return home. Wow. Which is where we get to some of our heroes. Okay. Odysseus. Sure. In uh, the Roman world, he's Ulysses. Yes. Odysseus is the protagonist of Homer's Odyssey. His name literally means trouble in Greek. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. He's the king of Ithaca and a great warrior in the Trojan War, but is best known for his decade-long trip home from the war. Um, So the Odyssey was actually the sequel to the Iliad. So the Iliad was about the Trojan War, and the Odyssey is about Odysseus trying to get home. home. So here's the synopsis of of the Odyssey for those of us that never read it. Um, the Odyssey begins after the end of the 10-year Trojan War, and Odysseus has still not returned home from the war because he angered the god Poseidon. Odysseus's son Telemachus is about 20 years old and is sharing his absent father's house on the island of Ithaca with his mother Penelope and a crowd of 108 boisterous young men, also called the suitors. Wait, wait. <laughs> they share a house with a big house. This poor woman shares a house with 109 <laughs> dudes. 108 of them who want to sleep with her. Ew. Yeah. Oh. So 108 men live there. Oh, The suitors. And their aim is to persuade Penelope to marry one of them, all while reveling in Odysseus's palace and eating up his wealth. So. Oh, my God. That's a nightmare. Odysseus's protectress, the goddess Athena, requests to Zeus, king of the gods, to finally allow Odysseus to return home when Poseidon is absent from Mount Olympus to accept a sacrifice all the way in Ethiopia. Turns out Odysseus has been held captive by Calypso on the island Ogygia for seven years. She is ordered to release him by the messenger god Hermes, who is sent who was sent to there by Zeus in response to Athena's plea. 
Odysseus builds a raft and is given clothing, food, and drink by Calypso. When Poseidon learns that Odysseus has escaped, he wrecks the raft, but helped by a veil given to him by the sea nymph, Eno, Odysseus swims ashore on an island and makes friends with the Phaeacians. Like, like facetious? P-H-A-E-A-C-I-A-N-S. They're just a bunch of like ironic... <laughs> sarcastic people yeah. like oh yeah you can stay here <laughs> so he tells his story to them which includes a visit to the lotus eaters which is where forgetfulness comes oh, from yeah yeah and then to the cave of polyphemus near the land of the cyclops so polyphemus eats men odysseus calls him no self nobody and blinds the cyclops um so when the everyone's like why are you screaming and he's like i'm blind and they're like who blinded you he's like nobody blinded me oh nobody. that's um, very clever so uh his men and he escape um hanging on to the underbellies of the sheep from oh, polyphemus's yes. cave mm-hmm. so like as he's letting the sheep out of the cave he puts his hands down like on top of the sheep and doesn't feel any men um <laughs> how big are these sheep i guess they're very big very big very sheep. Big. so Um, So they had escaped. These guys had escaped the Cyclops. But Odysseus foolishly taunted Polyphemus and revealed his true identity. So as they're sailing away, he was like, it is I, Odysseus, who has beaten you. Oh, no. That's a mistake. Um, So Poseidon, who's the father of Polyphemus, then cursed Odysseus to wander the sea for 10 years, during which he would lose all of his crew and return home only through the aid of others. After the escape, Odysseus and his crew stayed with Aeolus, a king endowed by the gods with the winds. He gave Odysseus a leather bag containing all the winds except the west wind, a gift that would have ensured a quick, safe return home. Sure, yeah. Um, Just as Ithaca came into sight, the greedy sailors opened the bag while Odysseus slept, thinking it contained gold. But instead, all of the winds flew out and the resulting storm drove the ship's all the way back from where they came. <laughs> you know, and that is when uh, Odysseus killed all of his men. <laughs> and that's why he came home alone. The men then encountered some man-eating giants. Oh, Great. my gosh. And then Odysseus's ship reached an island with the witch goddess Circe. But Odysseus had been warned by Hermes, and he took an herb called Molly, which made him resistant <laughs> to Circe's herb. magic. <laughs> We just put this in there. Uh, <laughs> later, they had the problem with the sirens who sang an enchanted song that normally caused passing sailors to steer toward the rocks sure. only to hit them and sink. All of the sailors had their ears plugged up with beeswax, except for Odysseus, who was tied to the mast since he wanted to hear the song. He told his sailors not to untie him as it would only make him want to drown himself. They then passed through this between the six-headed monster Scylla and the whirlpool Charybdis, narrowly avoiding death. Then there was a big shipwreck and only Odysseus survived until he was taken in by Calypso. He gets home, finally, with the help of these guys he's been telling the story to all along. Yeah. He wins an archery competition to compete for his wife, Penelope, and then he slays all of the suitors. So it's a, <laughs> just a goddamn bloodbath Oh, my end. gosh. That's the Odyssey, everybody. And then you know that he didn't just settle in for like a nine to five job where no. then they had like Wasn't two just healthy kids. To farm. No. 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 That did not happen. <laughs> The one of the other big heroes that we all got to know is Heracles. Okay. In um, Roman, he's Hercules. In Greek, he's Heracles. It's oh, kind right. of like gotten a little, yeah, a muddled. little muddled between times. So Heracles is the son of Zeus who rises to Olympus at his death. Um, the Romans adopted the Greek version of his life and works essentially unchanged. Hercules is renowned for his incredible strength and bravery, but he lacks intelligence and self-control. Most of adventures begin with a horrible mistake that he makes and then his attempts to fix it. 
His most famous feats are the 12 labors of Heracles. Oh, they yeah. are the punishment he receives for murdering his family in a fit of madness. Uh, I don't know. I'm sorry. What? Uh, that's not in the Disney version. Yeah, that's not in the Disney version. doesn't murder um, everyone. So to atone for his crime, uh, Heracles was required to carry out 10, but he added two more labors okay. set by his archenemy, Eurystheus, who had become king in Heracles's place. If he succeeded, he would be purified of his sin. And as myth said, he would become a god and be graded immortality. So okay. he has a lot on the line. A lot, yeah. Uh, a lot, lot to go ahead and do these things. So first he was just given 10 things to do. Like, here's my to-do list. Just, just do get these. them done. And then Eurystheus added more to it. Here's what they are. One, slay the Nemean lion. Okay. Heracles defeated a lion that was attacking the city of Nemea with his bare hands. And oh. after he succeeded, he wore the skin as a cloak to demonstrate his power over the opponent he had just defeated. Okay. That's a little much, but okay. Two, slay the nine-headed hydra, a oh. fire-breathing monster with a lion's head and a body of many snakes, which lay in a swamp near Lerna. Hera had sent it in hope that it would destroy Heracles' home city because she thought it was invincible. With help from his nephew, Iolaus, he defeated the monster and he dipped his arrows in its poisoned blood, thus envenomizing them. By the way, Hera like does not like any of this and she's trying to get like oh, all up in his way, like just throw like obstacles everywhere. For okay. This. She hates him. Yeah. So number two, the Hydra. Number three, capture the golden hind of Artemis. Not to kill, but to catch this monster. So it's a different but still difficult task. It costs time, but having chased it for a year, Heracles were out the hind and presented it alive to Eurystheus. So that's just like a deer that belonged oh, okay. to Artemis. He just had to catch it. So basically he ran after it for a year until it finally was like, Can please you just stop. leave me alone. <laughs> and then he just kind of like gave it a quick hug. Like, yeah. Ha ha. Took it to Eurystheus. Four, capture the Aramanthian boar. Ooh. This is a fearsome marauding boar on the loose. Eurystheus set Heracles the labor of catching it and bringing it to Mycenae. Again, this is a time-consuming task, but he done did it. Good for him. Number five, clean the Augean stables in a single day. Uh, so the Augean stables were the home of 3,000 cattle with poisoned feces, which Augeas <laughs> had been given by his father Helios. Like, here's a present for you, kid. Here's 3,000 cows who poop poison Horrible things. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, Heracles accomplished this by digging ditches on both sides of the stables, moving the stables into the ditches, and then diverting the rivers, Alpheos and Peneos, to wash the ditches clean. That's amazing. So that's how he cleaned the stables. Good for him. Day. Number six, slay the Stymphalian birds. So these aggressive man-eating birds were terrorizing a forest near Lake Stymphalia in northern Arcadia. Heracles scared them with a rattle given to him by Athena to frighten them into flight away from the forest, allowing him to shoot many of them with his bow and arrow, oh. which he had dipped in the poison of the hydra. Oh, right. Okay? And um, bring them back. Uh, he like brought some of their carcasses back to Eurystheus as a proof. That's cool. Number seven, capture okay. the Cretan bull. So this bull was the father of the Minotaur. And it was laying waste to the fields around Knossos on Crete. Heracles captured it and carried it on his shoulders to Eurystheus and Tyrans. Eurystheus released it when it wandered to Marathon, which it then terrorized until it was killed by Theseus. So the story of the Cretan bull is kind of like a two-parter. Like okay. um, it was doing all this damage. Heracles caught it, gave it to Eurystheus. And then Eurystheus was like, well, I don't want to keep this crazy bull. And then he released it. But then it was killed by another hero, Theseus, later oh, on. I see. Okay. Number eight, 
steal the mares of Diomedes. So stealing the horses from Diomedes' stable had been trained by their owner to feed on human flesh. Oh. Was his next yes. challenge. So his task was to capture them and then also just hand them over to Eurystheus. He accompanied he accomplished this task by feeding King Diomedes to the animals before binding their mouths shut. Oh. So this king had like trained his trained his horses to only eat human flesh. And then Hercules was like, Very All right, violent. we gotta Yeah. We gotta stop this. Shut so this he down. ended up binding their mouths shut so that they wouldn't um they be wouldn't able to eat any more humans anymore. Human flesh. Yay. Yeah. Um in the movie Hercules, I keep referencing this but it's it's very true in the true. disney film hercules in the disney film hercules um there he they show all of his labors of hercules um the last like nine or whatever are like in a montage <laughs> yeah. scene which is kind of funny yeah, yeah i can see that number nine obtain the girdle of hippolyta queen of the amazons he all right. he did it her bra yeah uh number <laughs> 10 obtain the cattle of the monster Gerion. so this is a herd that was guarded by a two-headed dog called orthrus a herdsman named erition and the owner of the cattle Gerion. okay who was a giant with three heads and six arms uh, one two three okay it, that makes sense it, all right i got it, it. tracks no i got it <laughs> um so heracles killed the first two with his club and then the third with a poisoned arrow sure heracles then herded the cattle and with difficulty took them to eurystheus but you know along the way eurystheus was like he is actually really doing good at this? these things yeah. so we're gonna give him two more things to do I see. so number 11 was steal the golden apples of the hesperides so these sacred fruits were protected by hera who had set laid on a fearsome hundred-headed dragon oh, as the man. guardian they were like, what is better than a three-headed dragon? A hundred. How about a hundred? <laughs> so Heracles had to first find where the garden was. Um, so he, on his journey, he came across Prometheus. Um, Heracles shot the eagle who was eating Prometheus's liver. Oh, and in good. return, he helped Heracles with knowledge that his brother Atlas would know where the garden was. So Her- Heracles went all the way to see Atlas. And Atlas offered to help him with the apples. If he could just hold up the heavens for like a minute while he was gone. But then Atlas tricked him and he didn't come back. I don't know how, but Heracles returned the trickery and managed to get Atlas back to taking the burden of the heavens once again. And he was able to steal the golden apples and return them to Mycenae. (laughs) And then finally, the 12th labor was to capture and bring back Cerberus. Eurystheus was so frustrated that Heracles was like just zipping through all these tasks that he'd given him that he imposed one more he believed to be impossible heracles had to go down into the underworld of hades and capture the ferocious three-headed dog cerberus who guarded the gates sure he used the souls to help convince hades to hand over the dog and he agreed to give him the dog if he used no weapons to obtain him heracles succeeded and he took the creature back to mycenae causing eurystheus to be fearful of the power and the strength of this hero and then he you know he got his everything absolved there he is He's good. Great. Ready to go. Um, quick aside, mm-hmm. there is a book. Um, it's a short story book uh, by Agatha Christie. Um, you know, the character of Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Uh, Hercule Poirot. Um, since his name is Hercule or Hercules Poirot, mm-hmm. um, there is a book called The Labors of Hercules. Okay. The, the Labor of Hercule or whatever. Oh. And um, each one of the short stories, he solves a crime that is themed, like even kind of like tangentially around, e- like each labor I of love Hercules. This. It's very I good. Go, I gotta go get it. Yeah, it's I have it. I'll loan okay. it. Okay, 
Great. Um, and he does it on purpose. Like he says at the beginning, he was like, hmm, Hercules, I know I can do this. I will do a labor for each one. I will get the, uh, the girdle of yes. the woman. Yes. And I think it's, I don't think he does 12. I think maybe he does like eight. Either way, it's very good. That I'll sounds it great. Mm-hmm. A few more Greek heroes. Theseus, he is the son of King Aegeus of Athens and a mythical king and founder hero of Athens. Theseus is the model citizen. He is a kind leader, good to his friends and countrymen, and he is the one who killed the Minotaur. Theseus fell in love with and later abandoned Ariadne and later doubted his own son, which ended up leading to his tragic demise. So Theseus kind of was like on the upswing and then he kind of... Bottom down. Jason, which doesn't sound like a Greek name. Jason you know what I mean? Jason is a guy like, I went to college with. That's Jason. <laughs> also the name of my cousin. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Jason assembled a cast of heroes to travel on a long, fraudulent quest, the recovery of the Golden Fleece. When Jason arrived in Colchis to retrieve the fleece, the daughter of the king, Medea, fell in love with him. Jason abandoned her and married a princess later for political gain. And in revenge, Medea kills Jason's new wife and her own children, whom Medea had by Jason. So there's like there's a, some really good passages in this in um, Daniel Mallory Orberg's text from Jane Eyre book, oh, really? which is like the first time I ever came across Medea. But I was like, <laughs> this, this is very this is good. good. Perseus, who's Zeus's son by the beautiful princess Danae. So Danae's father, forewarned that Perseus would someday kill him, locked the infant and his mother in a trunk and cast it into the sea. Perseus survives, comes of age, and sets out to kill the monster Medusa and bring back her head. But as prophesied, he killed his grandfather, though unwittingly, by hitting him with a stray discus. Oh, oh. There's Perseus. Uh, Oedipus is the son of the king of Thebes. Um, Oedipus frees Thebes from the menace of the Sphinx and marries the widowed queen Jocasta. Uh-oh. Unaware that she is his mother. mother. Learn- oh, no. <laughs> this beautiful older lady who surprisingly looks a lot like me is my mom. <laughs> Learning the truth later, he faces fate and he blinds himself as penance. He, not only does he blind himself, he blinds himself with his mother's brooches. Like he literally takes two brooches and is like, I remember I remember distinctly remember reading that in eighth grade English class and mm-hmm. being horrified by that. It's amazing. <laughs> There's um Achilles, yes, who's the most famous Greek in the Trojan War, whose strength and bravery are unrivaled. Achilles is selfless, courageous, and devoted to the gods. He is the finest Greek warrior. His mother, the sea nymph Thetis, has made him invulnerable everywhere except for his heel, where she was holding him when she dipped him into the river Styx mm. for protection. Like a cake and pop. Like a cake pop? Yeah, like a cake pop. You know, you take a cake and you put it around a stick and then you dip it in chocolate. It's a cake pop. She cake popped him. <laughs> You'll remember this. Yeah, like a cake pop. Yeah. Achilles, the cake pop. <laughs> so <laughs> right in his heel is where he was struck by Paris's arrow, and yeah. that's how he died. And played by a, a delicious Brad Pitt in the Troy movie. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, I remember next nothing. to nothing about that movie, except he's in a tent and he's getting dressed, and you see the curve of his bare ass, and it is mm, mm. golden, can I tell you? <laughs> Google yeah, something do a quick real Google quick. Search, everybody, do yourselves a favor. Um, Orestes is the hero of the Orestia, which is Aeschylus's tri- trilogy of plays. So Orestes's father is the great king Agamemnon, who was leader of the Greeks in the Trojan War, and his sister is the sacrificed Iphigenia. When his mother, 
Clytemnestra kills Agamemnon to avenge her daughter Iphigenia's death. Orestes then kills her. And as a result, the horrible furies plague him until he atones for his crime. (laughs) A couple more notable Greek characters. Okay. Pandora. Yes. She was the first and most famously foolish woman of Greek myth. She was married to Epimetheus, Prometheus's simple-minded brother. And she was entrusted with a jar that the gods had told her never to open. Pandora peeks inside the jar, unleashing evil into the world. But she manages to close the jar just in time to save hope, humankind's only solace. So um, this is why I wonder why Pandora is the name of a, of a jewelry company. Uh-huh. Because Pandora is not a good story. Yeah, you know? it's true. Yeah, she releases evil into the world. You really want to yeah. be associated with that with it's your jewelry? It's also like a streaming music site, too. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. The oracle at Delphi was a priestess of Apollo and the most famous prophet in all of Greece. Humans typically consulted the oracle to ascertain the will of the gods or of a person's fate. She most often appears at the beginning of a story as a character asks his fate, finds it unpleasant, and then tries to change it, (laughs) only to become a victim of fate precisely because of his efforts to change it. Ariadne, as I mentioned before, she was the daughter of King Minos of Crete. Ariadne falls in love with the hero Theseus and uses a golden thread to help him defeat the labyrinth of the dreaded Minotaur. Nice. Medea. Along with Circe, Medea is one of two famous sorceresses in Greek myth. Medea selflessly helps Jason defeat her own father and obtain the golden fleece. But after Jason turns on her, she kills his new wife and then her own children. And Orpheus. He is a poet and musician that had almost supernatural abilities to move anyone to his music. He descended to the underworld as a living mortal to retrieve his dead wife, Eurydice, after she was bitten by a poisonous snake on their wedding day. Oh. With his lyre playing skills, he was able to put a spell on the guardians of the underworld and move them with his music. And with his beautiful voice, he was able to convince Hades and Persephone to allow him and his wife to return to the living. The rulers of the underworld agreed, but under one condition. Uh-oh. Eurydice would have to follow behind Orpheus and he could not turn around to look at her oh no that's nope once orpheus had reached the entrance he turned around longing to look at his beautiful wife only to watch as she faded back into the underworld and he was forbidden to return to the underworld a second time (laughs) and then he spent the rest of his life playing his music to the birds and the mountains (laughs) that's so sad i actually like just this past week saw like a um a version of the like distracted boyfriend meme oh yeah that was like the distracted boyfriend was Orpheus and the girl in front of him was Eurydice. And oh. then the, the one he was holding hands with was like Hades or something. That's was, very good. I was That's like, very this good. Is, this is, it's a deep <laughs> And then the last one that everybody should just know who it is. Nike. Oh yeah. And is the goddess of victory. And in um, the Roman, the Romans called her victory. Yeah. One more good legend. Just Roman, not Greek. Oh, Okay. One more good legend. The founding of Rome. Oh, sure. Yeah, that okay. makes sense. So Romulus and Remus. We all have oh, heard of them, right? Yeah. But do we know their story? Uh, something about wolves, I think. Something about wolves. So Romulus and Remus were born in Alba Longa, one of the ancient Latin cities near the future site of Rome. Their mother, Rhea Silvia, was a vestal virgin and the daughter of the former king. In some sources, Rhea Silvia conceived them when their father, the god Mars, visited her in a sacred grove dedicated to him. And through their mother, the twins were descended from Greek and Latin nobility. 
Seeing them as a possible threat to his rule, King Amulius ordered them to be killed, and they were abandoned on the bank of the river Tiber to die. They were saved by the god Tiburnius, the father of the river, who survived with the care of others at the site that would eventually become Rome. In the most well-known episode of their mythology, the twins were suckled by a she-wolf in a cave oh, now right. known as the Lupercal. Eventually, they were adopted by a shepherd named Faustulus. The twins grew up tending flocks, unaware of their true identities. Oh. When they were young adults, they became involved in a dispute between supporters of the current and former kings, and as a result, Remus was taken prisoner and brought to Alba Longa. Both his grandfather and the king suspected his true identity. Romulus, meanwhile, had organized an effort to free his brother and set out with help for the city. During this time, they learned of their past, and they joined forces with their grandfather to restore him to the throne. So the current king was killed, and Numitor was reinstated as the king of Alba. So the twins set out to build a city of their own. Hooray! Yay! After arriving back in the area of the Seven Hills, they disagreed about the hill upon which to build. Oh, Romulus preferred the Palatine Hill above the Lupercal, and Remus preferred the Avertine Hill. When they could not resolve the dispute, they agreed to seek the gods' approval through a contest of augury, that is, interpreting omens through the flight of birds. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So Remus first saw six auspicious birds. But then Romulus saw 12. Uh -oh. So he claimed to have won divine approval. Uh-oh. This kind of messed up their dynamic at yeah. that point. So in the aftermath, Remus was killed, either by Romulus or by one of his supporters. Romulus then went on to found the city of Rome, its institutions, government, military, and religious traditions. And he reigned many years as its first king. My sister has always said that if she was to ever have a child, she would name him Romulus Conifer. <laughs> So there you go. <laughs> Founder of Rome. Great. This episode is dedicated to Sarah. <laughs> she doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so there's... That was wonderful. So there you go. It was a roller coaster of emotions and a lot stories. Of stories. There's so Great many stories, stories I didn't cover. I was just oh, trying yeah, to touch so upon like, what you would know them for. Yeah. And then uh, some, of the, uh, some of the Trojan War stuff, yeah. which maybe I hadn't read since seventh grade i know right so great job thanks oh, yeah. um this quiz is called a night with venus this is a quiz on expensive sculptures and all things mercury oh, boy. question one as we mentioned before only two natural elements are in a liquid state at room temperature mercury a metal and bromine a halogen from what solid source ore, the common name for a bright scarlet or brick red form of mercury sulfide, is elemental mercury refined? It is also the source of the paint pigment called vermilion and the name of the only island in Pokemon Red and Blue. Question 2. Which 20th century Swiss sculptor of tall men and slender figures, not carved pumpkins, is the creator of the top three highest selling sculptures of all time? Question three. Today, Mercury, Nevada is a closed city northwest of Las Vegas. In the 1950s, the thriving town was constructed to house and serve the staff of what specific reserved area developed by the Atomic Energy Commission? Question four. On May 15th, 2019, a three-foot-tall stainless steel figure called Rabbit became the most expensive work by a living artist sold at auction when it went for $91 million at Christie's in New York City. Which divisive artist, also known for pieces like Balloon Dog, parentheses orange, created this piece? Question five. 
One of the eight original franchises of the WNBA, the team Mercury resides in what major city where they currently play at the Talking Stick Resort Arena? Question six. In 2007, an early Roman bronze sculpture of the ancient Greek goddess Artemis and a stag was placed into auction, fetching $28.6 million. Which contemporary art museum from the Empire State made waves, or just pounding sounds, by secretly deaccessioning this beloved work from its holdings in 2006, claiming it fell outside the scope of its mission? Question 7. The United States Mint's Mercury Dime, a 10-cent coin in circulation from 1916 to 1945, is actually a misnomer. It wasn't the Roman god Mercury on the obverse, but instead which figure wearing a Phrygian cap with wings? Question 8. French-American artist Louise Bourgeois, famous for her large-scale sculptures and installation art, created an edition of six, not eight, spindly creatures in 1996, two of which have sold as the two most expensive auction sculptures ever made by a woman. Also depicted in her 30-foot-high by 33-feet-wide piece, Maman, for what invertebrate animal is Bourgeois best known? Question 9. Freddie Mercury did lead vocals and piano for the British rock band Queen. Though I doubt any of these made the cut for the 2018 biopic Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm going to name four songs and you tell me if they are real titles of songs recorded by Queen or if it's something I made up. 1. I'm in love with my car. 2. Ogre Battle. 3. Tenement Funster. And 4. Football Fight. And finally, question 10. In 2018, a polished brass sculpture on a carved metal base titled Le Jeune Fille Sophistiquée, Portrait de Nancy Cunard, sold for $71 million. Which patriarch of modern sculpture and creator of an impressive homage to the Romanian heroes of the First World War, as well as the sculptural series Bird in Space, made this pricey piece of portraiture in polished brass? I'll give you about a minute to think and we'll be back with your answers. I didn't hear half of those because I've been focusing on an answer for one of them. And I'm hoping it's just going to pop into my head. Okay. Okay. Let's do this. Question one. As we mentioned before, only two natural elements are in a liquid state at room temperature. Mercury, a metal, and bromine, a halogen. From what solid source ore, the common name for a bright scarlet or brick red form of mercury sulfide is elemental mercury refined. It is the source of the paint pigment called vermilion and also the name of the only island in Pokemon Red and Blue. I, <laughs> the I Pokemon hit? Oh, yeah. It, it was the Pokemon uh, hit. Um, no. I, I, the only thing I can think of is carmine. And I don't think that's even like a thing. 
It is cinnabar. Cinnabar. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So cinnabar generally occurs as a vein-filling mineral associated with recent volcanic activity. As the most common source of mercury in nature, cinnabar has been mined for thousands of years, even as far back as the Neolithic age. During the Roman Empire, it was mined both as a pigment and for its mercury content. So to produce liquid mercury, crushed cinnabar ore is roasted in rotary furnaces. The pure mercury separates from the sulfur in the process and evaporates in a condensing column is used to collect the liquid metal, which is then shipped in iron flasks. That's amazing. That's like alchemy. Yeah. It's amazing. Vermilion is just powdered cinnabar. Oh, okay. um, But because of its cost and toxicity, it has almost entirely been replaced by the synthetic color cadmium red. Yeah, one would hope. Question two, which 20th century Swiss sculptor of tall men and slender figures, not carved pumpkins, is the creator of the top three highest selling sculptures of all time? Um, Is that Giacometti? It is Giacometti. Yes. Alberto Giacometti, who is Swiss. Uh, L'Almo Dois, which is the pointing man, was auctioned at Christie's in 2015 for $141.3 million. I don't understand why Giacometti sells for (sighs) something. Uh, Giacometti and his sculpture L'Homme qui marche uh, appear on the current <laughs> 100 Swiss franc banknote. Wow. Yeah. It's so niche. I mean, I guess, I don't know. I, we could expound upon Giacometti and his oeuvre, but we don't have to. We don't have the time. <laughs> Question three. Today, Mercury, Nevada is a closed city northwest of Las Vegas. In the 1950s, though, the thriving town was constructed to house and service the staff of what specific reserved area developed by the Atomic Energy Commission? I mean, I, I, I just thought it was like the atomic testing site. Is Would we take that? The atomic testing site? I need, a, I need a different word in the first slot. Instead of atomic? Yeah. The... Um, Bomb testing site. The American testing site. What state's it in? The Nevada testing site? The Nevada test site. Oh, okay. Is what Nevada it was formerly called. Formerly known as the Nevada Proving Grounds, the site was established in 1951 for the testing of nuclear devices, covering approximately 1,360 square miles of desert and mountainous terrain. The mushroom clouds from the 100 atmospheric tests could be seen for almost 100 miles. Las Vegas experienced noticeable seismic effects, and the mushroom clouds, which could be seen from the downtown hotels, became tourist attractions. Amazing. And horrifying. Yeah. We yeah. went to the Atomic Testing Museum yes. last time. Last time we were in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just so over over my head. Like, oh, I was my like, God, yeah. oh, this is nice history timeline. Isn't that fun? Oh, look, here's a case that has like candy in it. Yeah. It's <laughs> called Atomic. And then we got to the rooms that was like, and here's what this is what here's what bomb atom is. bombs look like. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't uh, understand any of this. No. And it was also um, like disturbing it was also disturbing like there was an overlay of just like kind of tragic disturbing I mean obviously it's about the atomic bomb like there's not anything like (laughs) hooray about that um but yeah it was good it was a good museum yeah question four on May 15th, 2019, a three-foot-tall stainless steel figure called Rabbit became the most expensive work by a living artist sold at auction when it went for $91 million at Christie's in New York City. Which divisive artist, also known for pieces like Balloon Dog, parentheses orange, created this piece? Jeff Koons. It is Jeff oh, Koons. Everybody, can I tell you, every art historian and curator that I know 
hates the living hell out him. of Jeff Coons. I got to experience a really great um, diatribe today from our um, listener, Ryan Clefcorn Myers, posted like <laughs> on one of these like trivia things that he was just like went off oh, yeah. on Coons. It no, was pretty Coons great. Shout out to Ryan. Yeah. Hey. Thanks for listening, Ryan. And I agree with you 110%. <laughs> but aside from inflatables and balloon animals, um, Kuntz is also known for the 1992 piece called Puppy. Yeah. It's a 43 foot or 13 meter tall topiary structure of a West Highland t- white terrier puppy executed in a variety of flowers on a transparent color coded chrome stainless steel substructure. And Puppy is now outside the Guggenheim Museum Bilbao, which is that's cuter than the balloon animals. I guess so. I don't know. It's just all so uh, surface level and garbagey. Yeah. I don't know. $91 million for a three foot tall bunny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it just goes to show that the art world doesn't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> the commercial art world, yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. Commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Question five. One of the eight original franchises of the WNBA, the team Mercury resides in what major city where they currently play at the Talking Stick Resort Arena? Um, Talking Stick? Is this a U.S. city? It is a U.S. city. Um, is it... Uh, what's, what's a city in Montana? Bozeman? Do you think Montana has any professional sports? Teams? Well, I don't know. You said Talking Stick, so I'm thinking like Native American and... I don't know. What is it? Does that help you? No, it doesn't. What? <laughs> Phoenix. Oh, you're a bird. I get it. Um, oh, okay. All right. Yes, I the Phoenix Mercury. Okay, that makes sense. Um, they were founded in 1997, and they have been home to many high-quality players, such as former UConn sharpshooter Diana Taurasi, Rutgers grad Cappy Pondexter, oh, former is- Temple Power forward Candice Dupree, former Baylor center Brittany Griner, and Australian guard Penny Taylor. Uh, the Mercury went to the WNBA Finals four times, and nice. though they lost to Houston in 1998, they won the title three times in 2007, 2009, and 2014. Nice. Um, the Mercury's NBA counterpart is the Phoenix Suns. Oh, sure, yeah. So, that makes together. sense. Question six. In 2007, an early Roman bronze sculpture of the ancient Greek goddess Artemis and a stag was placed into auction, fetching $28.6 million. Which contemporary art museum from the Empire State made waves, or just pounding sounds, by secretly deaccessioning this beloved work from its holdings in 2006 by claiming it fell outside the scope of its mission? Secretly? In 2006? It secretly deaccessioned the work. Um, was it the Whitney? No? Was it the Albright Knox? It was the, the Albright, Albright Knox. Knox. That was my first guess, but then I thought that they had done that above board, but I guess they didn't. The Albright yeah. Knox Art Gallery. That was a Buffalo, big deal. New York. Yeah. So the bronze sculpture was originally excavated in the 1920s from a construction site in Rome, and it changed hands several times before finding its home at the Albright Knox. Yeah. Um, the sale of this piece was controversial because the decision was made in secret and not revealed to the public until the items had already been sent to the auction oh my house. Gosh, people were so pissed off. So... Sotheby's was the house that brokered the deal and it turns out that an employee of the auction house was the daughter of one of the museum's board members at the time of the sale which is like a pretty outrageous conflict of interest yep Um, and it wasn't announced when the sale was disclosed so um, there was a big lawsuit to block the sale that got thrown out but people think there was like a lot of corruption involved it was like oh well the judge that threw out the lawsuit was appointed by this person who's the brother of this person on the board 
So the sale raised questions about how museums can remain vital when they're situated in economically declining regions and have limited means for raising funds for operations and acquisitions. Yeah. Um, so basically the Albright Knox was like, well, actually we do a lot more like contemporary and modern art. And so this piece doesn't really fit our thing, but really it was like they needed the money. Oh yeah, absolutely. And $28 million will keep that's, your lights on for a lot of years. On. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, ethics and deaccessioning that I t- tell my students about, um, which I'm not going to repeat here because some of them are listening um, and they already know. But um, Albright Knox is was held up for the longest time as like the example of what you're not supposed to do when mm-hmm. you deaccession and sell off artwork. And granted, it's true. Like the Albright Knox historically has always been a modern and contemporary museum. They have never been like encyclopedic or like kept anything that was ancient or whatever. It just wasn't within their scope. Um, but the fact that they deaccessioned it secretly is garbage. Like, yeah, we, I, I will say at the mag, when we do deaccessions, all of those deaccessions go onto our website. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to know what we're de- currently deaccessioning and have deaccessioned, you can go to our website right. and look at them. So, and that's like what you're supposed to do. It's not like we're the best. Yeah. It's just, there's a lot of ethics stuff involved that people don't realize. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and one last tidbit about that the albright knox's current exhibition space can actually only accommodate about 200 works which is only yeah. about three percent of its 6740 piece collection so but the, the but the work itself was like beloved oh yeah people loved it it was like they kept it on display mm-hmm. pretty frequently in their like little side gallery for yeah. longest time but i will say they have a phenomenal collection mm-hmm. oh my god honestly like a real state-of-the-art modern contemporary collection of Good, 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 good. Yeah, that you wouldn't you a a little gem in the city of Buffalo. Oh yeah, definitely go and then pop over across the street to the Birchfield Penny. Great contemporary art gallery. Where's our Where's our Buffalo tourism money? Buffalo dot com. Hey, (laughs) I don't know. We're not getting any money yet. Yet. Question seven. The United States Mint's Mercury Dime, a 10-cent coin in circulation from 1916 to 1945, is actually a misnomer. It wasn't the Roman god Mercury on the obverse, but instead which figure wearing a Phrygian cap with wings? I don't know. And I feel like this figure is on one of our buildings in Rochester, isn't it? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is supposed to be Mercury. Anyway, I don't know. Who is it? It's Lady Liberty. What? This is also called the Winged Liberty Dime. What the what? I what? Yeah. So That's if amazing. someone's talking about the Mercury Dime, it's actually the Winged Liberty Dime. Oh, I had no idea that she was Liberty. Yeah. Huh. So, okay, so um, no, never mind. Yeah, because it's just like a head. It's not like a whole body. It's just like the head with the cap and the wings. And people thought that the cap and the wings yeah. meant that it was Mercury or Hermes. Sure. But actually, it's Lady Liberty. So the sculptor, Adolph Weinman, is believed to have used Elsie Stevens, the wife of lawyer and poet Wallace Stevens, as his model for Lady Liberty. The coin's reverse depicts a fasces, which symbolizes unity and strength, which is kind of like a bundle of hay Oh, yeah, together, yeah. And an olive branch that symbolizes peace. The Mint released a centennial version in gold of the Mercury Dime on April 21st, 2016, and it sold through the Mint's official website, but demand was so high that orders were no longer able to be placed within 45 minutes of the coin becoming wow, available. Wow, that's amazing. So the uh, the numismatists, they were all about this, oh, yeah. this uh, golden-winged Liberty Dime. They love those coins. Mm-hmm. Question eight. French-American artist Louise Bourgeois, famous for her large-scale sculptures and installation art, created an, edi- created an edition. 
<laughs> she created an edition of six, not eight, spindly creatures in 1996, two of which have sold as the two most expensive auction sculptures ever made by a woman, including one in May 2019. Also depicted in her 30-foot-high, 33-feet-wide piece, Maman, for what invertebrate animal is bourgeois best known? Spider? It is the spider. Yes. Have you seen these things? Uh, I've seen it at like, the, the National Gallery in Washington. I've seen outside. only pictures of it. I've never seen a Louis They're Bourgeois They're ginormous. Yeah. Um, so I like this quote from her. Um, Louise Bourgeois said, The spider is an ode to my mother. She was my best friend. Like a spider, my mother was a weaver. My family was in the business of tapestry restoration, and my mother was in charge of the workshop. Like spiders, my mother was very clever. Spiders are friendly presences that eat mosquitoes. We know that mosquitoes spread diseases and are therefore unwanted. So spiders are helpful and protective, just like my mother. Aw, that was a nice little, in this essay, I will. (laughs) Um, I saw Louise Bourgeois at... TFAF. I was at the art fair uh-huh. in New York. It was a contemporary art fair at the Armory. I don't know. Mm. It was very hoity-toity. I, uh, I didn't get the invitation. Oh, oh, I didn't either. I had to pay $50 to get in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, they had like little carts of champagne that you could buy, uh, bought, like a little glass of champagne for $27. And they had a salmon and oyster bar, just in case you were feeling peckish. Mm. But there was a Louise Bourgeois. It was a uh, felted, armless, legless woman in uh, pink, pink felt, and she had a little turquoise necklace on, and she had uh, what my uh, Spanish coworker called little teats, uh, <laughs> and a little like jagged mouth and everything, and she was sta- standing upright under a hand-blown glass cloche on a silver table, and we loved it mm-hmm. um, because it was so funny and like so weird. And so my boss just walked up to the gallery girl, scrubbed clean, who were wearing like men's clothes. Um, and she said, um, that Louise Bourgeois is so provocative. How much is it? And she was like, um, it's a series of two. And that one is just under two million. <laughs> and it took all of me not to like clutch at my chest and hearing that. And just to her credit, just kind of mildly said, oh, really? It's wonderful. And she was like, yes, the little turquoise necklace is so witty, don't you think? I was like, I got to get out of here. It's <laughs> <laughs> too much. I can't do this. Two Art million. people. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But yes, it was very cool to see in person <laughs> for what it's worth. Question nine. Okay. Freddie Mercury did lead vocals and piano for the British oh, rock Lord. band Queen. I'm going to name four songs and you tell me if they are real titles of songs recorded by Queen or if it's something I made up. Okay. I'm going to totally stab in the dark here. Okay. First, I'm in love with my car. Uh, real. Yes. It's yes. real. It's uh, from 1975 on the album A Night at the Opera. Okay. Number two, Ogre Battle. Uh, not real. Ogre Battle is real. It's from 1973 on the album Queen 2. Oh, man. Okay. Number three, Tenement Funster. Uh, not real. It's real. Oh, my it's God. It's from the 1974 album Sheer Heart Attack. Are these all real? And number four, Football Fight. Real, I guess. Oh, my God. It's real. It's from 1980 oh. from Flash Gordon. <laughs> Football Fight. Football Fight. So they were all real? They're all real. Oh, my God. I couldn't come up with anything. I know. Uh, those are all fake. so good. <laughs> Bless them. And finally, question 10. In 2018, a polished brass sculpture on a carved metal base titled Le Jeune Fille Sophistiquée 
Portrait de Nancy Cunard, sold for $71 million, which patriarch of modern sculpture and creator of an impressive homage to the Romanian heroes of the First World War, as well as the sculptural series Bird in Space, made this pricey oh. piece of portraiture in polished brass. Very good. It's just great plosives there. Um, that is Constantine Brancusi. It is. I think it is pronounced Brincush. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. I've never heard it spoken aloud. So. Yes. Um, he also created a large commemorative sculpture in his homeland, accepting the commission in 1935, but refusing to receive payment for it. So the result was an ensemble of three sculptures. It's called the Table of Silence, the Gate of the Kiss, and the Endless Column. So the best known one is probably the Endless Column, which mm-hmm. stacks 15 rhomboidal modules with a half unit at the top and bottom, making a total of 16 that is about 96 feet tall, or about 29.3 wow. meters high. Um, um, Nancy Cunard, who's the the um, who this uh, extensive sculpture was made of, she was an Anglo-American heiress and writer, and she was a major patron of the artists and writers in Paris between the two wars. That's cool. Um, his uh, female figureheads in brass are stunningly beautiful. Yeah. So is he he seemed to do a lot of brass. Yeah, a yeah. lot of like smaller scale, not smaller, but like you know, like human sized. Like Bird in Space mm-hmm. is uh, at the MoMA. Oh, and it's okay. very beautiful in person. It's so elegant. It looks like it's like like just a tiny sliver of brass in like this beautiful vitrine. It's very gorgeous. More impressive in person. That's all of it. That was That awesome. is it. Good quiz. I'm so glad I knew all of the art things. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Um if you would like to reach out to us, give us some um, listener submitted trivia. We're, we're still yeah. looking for that. Um, you can email us at misinfopod at gmail.com. Uh, you can tweet at us at misinfopod, or you can go to our uh, Facebook page, misinformation colon a trivia podcast right on our wall. Um, and you can check us out on our website, www.misinfopod.com. Uh, on our website, you can stream us and you can get us pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts, uh, yeah. basically. <laughs> Including Spotify. <laughs> Including Spotify. <laughs> we finally broke them. <laughs> I requested it like enough times. They were, they were like, like, fine. Jeez. I guess you're real. <laughs> we get it. <sighs> so, um, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Please rate, re- review, and subscribe. Yeah. Tell a friend. Um, so, thanks so much for listening, you guys. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.